startup this morning. Come on, smile. Get excited for Jesus. You know, let's not put our list of doodles before. Let's just get excited. Let's give him praise. Let's give him glory this morning. Amen. My name is David Montez. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Blessed to have that honor here to serve you. Amen. I just want to give a testimony. Uh, this this week, or actually last week, uh, early this month, I should say, we had a Christmas party, right, uh, in the Army. And, you know, in, in my military environment, we have to be very careful, very politically correct. But at the last minute, I was asked to, um, to basically give a short sermon, right? And, and, and I said, I was kind of shocked, but at the same time, I said to myself, this is a great opportunity to throw the name of Jesus out there because I know that we have to be politically correct, but at the same time, if they're giving me the stage, well, I'm going to throw Jesus' name out there, amen? So I, I took advantage of it, but at the same time, I was like a little upset because I was like, man, I want to get a good message together, but I don't have time to. But I said, you know what? I, I leaned on the scripture that says, do not worry for each day has trouble of its own and God's going to provide, amen? So I said, well, I'm going to talk about Jesus' love and, and the reason for the season. And, and I almost turned it into a long preaching. You know, I didn't want to do that, but because uh, I only had a 10-minute window. But, but Christ's name was glorified. And, and I think of the scripture that says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. And I want to encourage every one of you to be the light in the darkness. You know, we see what's going on right now in the world, and there's a lot of bad things going on. And, and be the light, because you never know when they're going to call on you. You never know how those people at work, or wherever you're at, how they, how they see you. You just don't know how they see you. And I was kind of shocked that even though a lot of people don't know what I do outside of my military environment, they knew that I was that guy. And I was, I was humbled by that because I said, man, we have to be careful how we walk every day. We have to be careful how we present ourselves. Amen? So let's be that light. Let's be that example. And let's be that lamp. Let's, let's lead people down the narrow path. Amen. Father, we just thank you today, Lord, Father God, for this day, Lord. I pray that we would be encouraged, Lord, Father God, in the midst of, of getting beat up, Lord, out there, in the midst of people arguing against our beliefs, in the midst of people standing against us, Lord. I pray that we would stand on your word, that we would be the salt of the earth, that we would not lose our saltiness, Lord, that we would walk down the narrow path daily, no matter what popular belief says, Lord, Father God. I pray that we would lead people away from the white path to destruction. Lord, I pray that we will stand on a rock, Lord, Father God, which is you in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Let us worship. Let us adore God this morning because the victory has been won. Amen. Good morning. This first song is called In Your Life. And despite no matter what happens in this world or in your life, we know that God has overcome the darkness. Come on, death has already been defeated on the cross. Come on, and we're going to celebrate that this morning. Amen. Come on, help me sing in your light. Within your light, I find my strength. And in your truth, sing it out. As I overcome, and in your praise. I lose myself for in your love. Come on, sing it out. You turn my tears of sadness into such joy and gladness. 
my heart can't keep it and I'm shouting, oh shouting You turn my tears of sadness into such joy and gladness My heart can't keep it and I'm shouting, oh shouting Come sing in your joy well, in your joy, come on, proclaim it this morning. And in your hope, in your hope, I overcome. In your grace, I lose myself. For in your love, sing it. You turn my tears up into such joy and gladness my heart will keep it and i'm shouting i'm shouting you turn my tears of sadness into such joy and gladness my heart can't keep it we lift up a shout of praise we shout out to you Sing Despite what happens in our life, we praise you this morning. God, despite what happens on this earth, we praise you, God. 
Because we know that when you died, it wasn't the end. Oh, death, where is your victory? Come on, right now, just lift up your hands and just begin to praise him right now. Come on, as a church, we come before. And even though evil happens in this nation, it may strike us close to home. We still have a God who has conquered death. Come on, we praise him right now, church. We lift up his voice. Come on, we come before you, God, right now.
praise him for who he is and the beauty of his majesty. Jesus, no other God, no other God. There's none like you, God. Oh, God, you bring us comfort and peace. But, God, when we call upon your name, when we call upon the name of Jesus, Lord, you hear us from heaven. Come on, church, would you just call upon his name right now? Come on, just call upon the name of Jesus in this place. Oh, we call upon you, Lord Jesus, for this church, God, for our families, for this nation, God. We call upon your name, oh God. We lift you up, oh Lord, that you receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. We praise you this morning, oh God.
come to you this morning. We call on the name of Jesus this morning, God. We call on the awesome name of Jesus. That you would heal our hurts, God. That, Lord, you would mend our broken hearts. And that your glory, God, would fill this place. Come on, those words are for you. Come on, receive it right now. Just say, God, that is for me, Jesus. Come on, call on his name this morning. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power. Jesus. 
Salvation of heaven. God, we ask that the rivers of life would flow through our nation, Lord Jesus. 
are here because I feel you led me Lord to call people to receive prayer for these such things Lord hallelujah Jesus hallelujah Jesus hallelujah hallelujah Lord hallelujah hallelujah Jesus 
I'm the associate pastor here of Metro Praise, Reese Park. Right now we want to take the moment to dismiss the children. Those that, parents that have children, please lead them into the uh, sound booth over here to my right hand. As they head to the back, thank you right there, parent. Children, I want to give you the moment to have the Bible study back there. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, parents. Amen. The title of this message is the Gospel Presentation. It's just titled like that. If we can please turn to the Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 2. It reads, by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise, you have been, you have believed in vain. For what I receive, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. Amen. Paul is teaching us here, and the Bible is teaching us that by this gospel, we are saved. There is salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you hold firmly to the words, preach, preach right now this moment, that this is the gospel. God sent his one and only son, as Jesus said in John 3.16, God sent his one and only son to the earth. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There is everlasting life that Jesus offers, and then there is everlasting death. 
And this morning, I just want to urge you to come to everlasting life. Pastor's clicks on saying, if you hold on firmly to the words preached, otherwise you have believed in vain. receive I pass on to you first importance Christ died for our sins according to the scripture the scripture says that by his stripes and his wounds we are healed that he took forth the iniquity and the sins and the sorrows of this earth and the cross and when Jesus shed his blood and he was nailed and crucified he died a punishment a death that he did not deserve that you and I deserve because of our sins Everlasting eternity is either death or life. Amen. If you can please stand with me. I just want to keep it real simple. This morning, if you've been in 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 sin, whether you've been holding anger, unforgiveness towards someone, whether you've been lying, whether you've been stealing, whether you've been having been having sexual immoral. That will lead you to everlasting death. But Jesus took the punishment that God already has set for you and that sin on the cross. And all you have to do is believe and give that sin and repent from it to receive everlasting life. And we can please close our eyes as we pray. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, for your people here. Father God, if they have not repented, I pray that they will repent of their ways. Lord, that they will confess you as Savior. This morning, Lord, God, let hearts be mended and softened, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. We have David and Monica right here to my right. They want to pray for you, invite to your life groups, to their life group, okay? If you haven't accepted Jesus in your heart, they want to be there for you, encourage you, and so forth. And right now, we want to bless our, we want to do our confession of faith, recite confession of faith. Raise your hand if you want this in a sheet of paper, our ushers will pass them out to you. Anybody here? Okay, we have one over there, thank you. Let's read this nice and loud and slow together. At a count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and Creator who is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment of all believers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. 
I believe in the salvation for all mankind. That is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's really important as a church to confess this creed because it's our Christian word for you. And if we can just take the next couple of minutes to pray for power and fellowship. And if you haven't received prayer, if you want to get connected to life, please come to Monica and David to my right. place for simply for who he is amen we want to welcome you to our Sunday morning service every Sunday at 10 a.m. Wednesdays we have our King's Kid at 7 p.m. and Fridays we have our youth service actually amen elevate this past Friday we had our, our a special night we watched elf and we had Awelita hot chocolate now if you never had yes yes we're getting we're getting excited for Awelita. Um, if you never had that, it's a Mexican hot chocolate, and the kids loved it. We had a good time, so some cool things were happening about or happening on Elevates. And uh, speaking of cool things, this coming Wednesday, somebody say this Wednesday. This coming Wednesday, we have our Christmas caroling. We've been going out for, for the past couple of uh, years, and this Friday, this Friday, <laughs> I'm Elevate. This coming Wednesday, 7 p.m., come to the church. We're meeting here. Dress warm, okay? You don't want to wear just like a sweater. Come dress warm, okay? And uh, we're going to go out in this neighborhood and sing songs to glorify Jesus. How about that? Amen. 
How about joy to the world, the Lord has come. We're going to be singing at everybody's doorstep and Feliz Navidad. Amen. So we get ready for your Spanish to be going. Also, some cool things. When you come this Wednesday, bring your favorite holiday treat, okay? If you want to bring something to share, something that you're really good at making. As a matter of fact, uh, Nancy Schwartz, you can just wave. She didn't know I was going to do this, but growing up, Elliot would always come over to my house, a good friend of mine, his, uh, her uh, son, and she would make this peanut butter, like, like, treat. Do you remember what I'm talking about? A peanut butter, crunchy, chocolatey treat. But she makes it the best. It is probably the best thing I've had, peanut butter and chocolate, okay? Better than Reese. So let's give her a hand clap. She is amazing. So, so hopefully, maybe she can bring that out, but no pressure, but... <laughs> Moving on, we have our winter retreat coming up in January. Make some noise for that. Come on. It's January 18th and 19th. Be sure to ask off, request off from work. You don't want to miss it. The entire church is going out there. For more information, look us up on Facebook. Like it. Come along. Say that you're going. Uh, spread the word. Spread the love. It's $50 for adults and $35 for children. We want everybody to be a part of it, okay? So if you want more information, talk to your life group leaders, talk to your leaders, look it up on Facebook. We have it everywhere. Amen. Amen. Here at Metro Praise, we're all about loving God and loving people. Amen. Can somebody say love God? And somebody say love people? Amen. That's our heart and our vision. That's a heartbeat of the church. That's actually God's heartbeat for his people. Amen. Let me ask you something. How's it going to loving God and loving people? You may say, hey, man, it's really easy to love you, God, but sometimes it's hard to love people. Right? How about people at work, sometimes your co-workers, family, can they get an amen? It's hard to love sometimes, but that's our heartbeat, and that's what we're all about. And the way we go about that, there's a strategy. We have connect, mentor, and send. Connect as we connect you to Jesus Christ. See, church would be so boring, dead, lifeless if it weren't for Jesus. These times of worship, when we shout, when we praise God, it's because we praise a living God who meets with us in these places. Amen? It's not no goosebumps. It's the Holy Spirit. So we connect you to God. And some cool ways that we do that, get connected to a life group. Can somebody say life group? We're actually in a series called life, uh, not life groups, but we're actually in a series called the Truth Project. And it's actually going to be ending this December. Some heavy truth, some heavy good knowledge about who God is. So please join us. We have life groups going out throughout the week. Here's some of the lessons. We have some flyers for you at the entrance. Pick some up on the way out. Spread some love to your neighbors and your family. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. We want to mentor you like Jesus. Somebody say, I want to be mentored like Jesus. <laughs> Not like Jesus. Be mentored by Jesus. Amen. The way we go about that, it's nothing weird. It's nothing strange. But we say, hey, look, we have a book here to help you out. Seven simple steps, and then we have a two-on-one process where you grow in your relationship with God. How many of you guys want to grow in your relationship with God? Amen? Amen. That's the whole point, to get to know him more. Like, man, I fall in love with Jesus every day. It's like, man, God, you amaze me. Next day, man, God, you amaze me. It gets better. Amen? Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> and our goal, <laughs> our goal is 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches with 500 around the world. If you believe we can do it and want to be a part of it, can you say amen? Hallelujah. We're going to get ready for our tithes and our offerings. Amen. I want to share this quick verse with you. It's found in Matthew 6, and it talks about treasures in heaven. I'm going to read this to you. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, 
and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus is talking to his people right here. And he's saying, hey, listen, when you're in this world, don't think about it's about gaining things and putting things to your name and, and having the biggest house, having the best car. Things, materials is not wrong, but when they own your heart, that's when it's wrong. And God is saying, hey, listen, you want to be blessed? You want to be prosperous? Give me your heart. How about that? Give me your heart, and I'll make you blessed and prosperous, and all those things will be added. Amen. We truly believe that here. A tithe is 10% of your total income, and your offering is whatever you give unto God from your heart after your tithe. Saying, God, I want to bless your church. God, you've blessed me. Come on, somebody, somebody are blessed. Even though we're going through some economic trials and, and hard times, it's really hard times. Families, providing for your children, meeting needs, paying bills, mortgages. God is blessing his church. Amen. And so when you think about that, God, you've been good to me. I'm going to be good to you, and I'm going to bless you back. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. We want to go ahead and, and stand to our feet. We're going to be getting ready to give. We have some cool options, some online giving. If you're more familiar with, with technology and go with that stuff, you can do that online as well. But here we have a scripture that we like to say as we get to remind ourselves that God is good and he's blessing his people. Amen. So let's do it on the count of three. One, two, three. Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, will be, yep, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you used, they'll be measured to you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you're such a good God. We can say it every day because it's true. It doesn't change. But, Father, we just pray right now, God, you would bless your people, God, to be a blessing unto you. God, for all the things that we desire, how to grow and expand your kingdom, God. Father, we know that we can't do it on our own. We know that archangels and angels don't pay light bills. We know you use your people, God. So, Father, pray you will bless your people in this time to be a blessing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on and say amen. Give the Lord a hand up. Praise. Come on up as you give. Amen. How many believe our God's an awesome God? Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Come on. Amen. So glad to see you this morning. Can you look at your neighbor and just smile and say, I'm glad that you're here? Amen. Just if we don't get a chance to say hi to everybody, we are glad that you are here this morning. We are feeling God in this place. How many just love that time of worship? Amen. Oh, man, I just love worship, and I love the time of worship that we have here because when we gather together in his name, the Bible says we worship him in spirit and truth. He finds us. We don't have to go seeking after him on some spiritual treasure chest journey, you know, with Madam Cleo. If you all remember that from one you know, Psychic Hotline, all we got to do is just worship him in spirit and in truth, and he comes to where we are. Amen? And that's why I love coming to Metro Praise. And I also want to thank you, Metro Praise, for allowing me as your pastor, as your leader, to speak messages like the one you're going to hear today. Because our nation 
our city and the world we live in needs a wake-up call for Jesus. There is no way that you could have a heart for God and not be rocked by the news of that shooting. How many were just grieved in their heart when you heard about it? I mean, just deeply grieved. Women weeping, my wife just weeping. You know, I'm not necessarily a weeper. I'm like, let's put them up and get it on type first. It just made me mad. It just made me so mad. You're picking on these innocent children. God, have mercy on our nation. You know, a few weeks ago before our elections, I preached a message on God's heart for America. And I want to kind of tag along to that today. Another message on why America needs revival. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to, uh, with me to Haggai, Haggai uh, excuse me, Hosea, rather, chapter 6. And our notes are online to Facebook as well. Hosea chapter 6. And I want you, as I preach this message, not just to amen me as the church and to say, yeah, pastor, I agree, but I really want you to search your heart today. Because I believe the, the problems that we have are resolved in the church. Let me explain what I mean by this as you're turning to Haggai chapter 6. And I have all the verses on the notes today, uh, Andrew, unless we need to add some. And I appreciate your help back there. If I came to you and I said, can I borrow a dollar? Uh, let's say you didn't have a dollar. You would then go to somebody else and say, do you have a dollar that I can borrow that I can give to Joe? And let's say they didn't have a dollar. They then would go to somebody else and go on and on and on until somebody finally had a dollar. The way I look at it is morals have to be grounded in something. Morals have to be grounded as what we would say as Christians in someone. So let me give you an example. While everybody is talking about the problem right now, they're trying to make moral decisions, say maybe we shouldn't have guns or this kind of guns, or other people are saying maybe we should have security guards. And what they're doing is they're borrowing one from another to another, and they're still empty-handed. Let me give you the example. So we ask a politician, what should we do in America after a school shooting? Well, he says, well, I'm going to go to the parents, and I'm going to ask the parents to do better. But the parents are just made up of imperfect people themselves, so they may not be able to reach in and touch that child's heart because obviously the mother got shot, so she couldn't change that child's heart. And so then nobody has a change. There's no morality. We said, let's put it on the parents. The parents can't do it because they don't have the ability. So then somebody else comes up and says, let's put it on the police. Let's put it on law enforcement. Let's have metal detectors. But then we realize that schools that do have metal detectors here in Chicago and malls and these places, there is still violence happening. And the reason is, is because if I said to you right now, go get me morality. Go get me a standard of right and wrong in America. Go get it for me. If you went to the police, the police would have to say, I don't have it. They would have to go to the government. The government would then say, we don't have it. They would have to go back to the people. The people would say, we don't have it, and therefore there is no morality. But now take, for example, when we base our morality in God as Christians. Now we say we're not going to the government to borrow the morality. We're not going to the schools to borrow the morality. We're not even borrowing the morality from our parents. We are getting it from God because he has the morality. 
He can give it to us. So when we go to God, we say, God, what is right and wrong? And he gives us his commands. If we don't have that, then it's everybody's opinion. And this is what John Adams said, our second president. When he made the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, he was a part of this whole process. This is what he said. He said, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. He said, we don't have a government that can contain people's unbridled passions and morality. The government won't be able to help them. Our Constitution, talking about what our country was founded upon, he said, was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. What was John Adams, our second president, saying? What I was just trying to describe in that example. That if we go to the government to legislate our morality, they will not be able to do it and enforce it on the people. Now, you have to understand what makes America unique. When we were founded, we were given freedom and principles to live by that no other country at that time was given. We were given freedom of religion. Even where we were coming from in England had a church-run state, the Church of England. We were given the opportunity to not have any church dictate anything to you. Still to this day, England has a king and a queen. Though they may be on the cover of fashion magazines more than dictating morality, but that was where it came from in the time of our revolution. Are you guys tracking with me? So when we came up with our democracy and formed a republic, which meant people would vote and put leaders in office and those leaders would legislate, John Adams was saying from the very beginning, if our people are not a religious people grounded in truth, getting their morality from God, all of the freedoms that we give these people, all of the abilities we give them will not be able to be contained. Because we give them freedom. A lot of times we talk about putting God back in schools and people will retort back to us and say, well, there's no school shootings in China. And they don't have gods in, God in school either. But you see, China regulates its people, takes away the people's freedom, does not allow them to have freedom to do things you and I can. So when we look at the founding of our nation, the abilities you have to move wherever you want to move, to pick a job according to whatever you want to do, to have as many children as you want. You know that China regulates the amount of children you have. You see, all of these freedoms are given beyond any nation ever known to this planet but it was meant to be maintained everybody say maintained by religious people it was meant to be maintained by religious people religious people who would know you don't use a gun and shoot children with you see because that religious person could be trusted with a gun a lot of times people say, well, you know, Canada, these European nations don't have the same violence because they outlaw the guns. That's right. They take away the freedom for you to own a gun. But America gives you that freedom, but it's basing, presupposing the freedom upon you being a religious person. You grounding your belief in that gun upon morality. Because if you're just trying to borrow morality, you'll always come up empty and have none. Now, do we see something similar to this in the Bible? Absolutely. 
When you look to the Old Testament, the people of God were chosen to have a nation unto God. It was a unique setup. The Jewish people had God say, I want to give you this land, have you live here, and you operate and do such and such, and I'll bless you. But what began to happen is those people in their morals began to break God's laws, and they began to suffer. And what God began to do with them is plead with them. And he wasn't going to restrict their freedoms. He wasn't going to say, you know, I'm not going to allow you to breathe if you go worship another God or if you go to a temple or do these such and such things. He gave them the freedom to choose. And what they began to do was choose the religion of the surrounding nations. Now, why did this make a difference? Is God just, you know, a petty, jealous God that just doesn't like that you don't pay him attention? And so if you go hang out with Baal, he's jealous like some junior high girl. No, the reason why God did not want them to have idols is because idols also have ideology. Everybody say ideology. Ideology is a way of thinking. See, idols have ideology, they have teachings, they have ways to construct your worldview, things that we're learning about in the Truth Project. And so when I go to India, it's not just that these statues are bad or wrong and they're worshiping Krishna and and Brahma and all of these things, you know. It's that the ideology, the teachings of these idols are destructive. The teachings of these idols come from demons. Let me just give you example from India. When we hear in the Western culture, karma, I believe in karma, man. I believe in karma. What you're kind of thinking is what goes around comes around. You know, that's what Americans have taken that belief to be. But what karma means to the Hindu is when your child is born with cerebral palsy, it was because they were a meat eater in the life before. They believe in sickness to children and babies and the poverty as a punishment from your previous life. And so all of you here, meat-eating, non-vegetarians, all of you here doing those things are going to be born again as sickly, crippled people in the next life or pigs and swines and detestable animals. That's how it works in their circle of evolution. So the problem isn't just we're going to worship God, the one God, in a different way, like our culture always wants to tell us. It's all just one God, but many ways up to that God. No, it is a totally different system, an idol, Giving a totally different worldview. Now you might say, Pastor, what does that have to do with us? See, that's what Israel was doing. What is America doing? What idols are giving Americans their ideology? What idols are speaking to Americans' hearts and giving them their ideology? How about the idol of science? About the last hundred years, we think we're so smart now that we don't need God to understand our world. Literally, the leading scientists in, in Europe and in America are teaching in the greatest universities from Harvard, Princeton, yeah, Ivy League, all across this country, Berkeley. They're teaching the young people, the, fr- the, the, the freshmen, the impressionable mind. They're teaching them there is no God. You were created by random chance over billions of years of evolution, and this is your life. 
What do you think happens to somebody when they believe that truth? And they make evolution their idol. And when they begin to hear things about us, the Bible tells me so, the Bible tells me so, turn to Hosea. And they start thinking to themselves, well, that's just those old fuddy-duddies. That's just those people of the dark ages and way back when. They didn't know anything. We've explained it all. Begins their change, their ideology, because now... When we go back to those stories of the Bible and we hear about Sodom and Gomorrah were punished, listen to this, were punished with fire and brimstone from heaven because of their homosexuality and perversion. Now today's college students, soon to be our next leader, and many of our leaders today heard this in the 70s, what they now hear is, that's just a religious person's opinion. My idol tells me that homosexuality is natural in the animal kingdom. Therefore, it's natural among humans. There's nothing morally wrong with that. See, that's what their idol tells them. How about the value of life? When that idol of evolution begins to explain life, it's always talking about death is a good thing. It's good that animals die so that stronger animals survive. It's good that weaker animals get cut off from the jungle so that the lion remains the king of the jungle. It's called survival of the fittest. Everybody say survival of the fittest. So in evolution, death is actually a good thing. Well, then you get a man like Hitler, and he comes around and he goes... The animal kingdom, we applaud death and when the animals become strong because, you know, you can't put a chihuahua out in the wild and expect it to live. So the pit bull must be the stronger dog. The Rottweiler, are you guys listening to me? It's the stronger dog. Well, if that's true from the animal kingdom and we're from animals, then there must be humans that are stronger than other humans. There must be human species, a race that is superior to the other races. And that's why he started putting in gas chambers, Jews, by the tens of millions. And then we sit back in America and we go, that's why we went over there, Pastor. We disagree with that. We value the Jewish person's life. That's right, we did. And we also found the war criminals that tried to hide and go into hiding in Germany. We found them out and brought them to these courts. And we said, even though it was 20 years ago, and even though you were acting under the, the, the supervision of your leaders, you're responsible for putting gas in those chambers. We're going to hold you responsible for doing that. And we all applaud and say, that's right. But now we look at America and its abortion clinics. Nazi Germany killed maybe 12 million, the most 15 million of not only Jews but other undesirables as he would refer to them as. America in the last 25 years has killed over 50 million unborn children. And what do the doctors say? What do the people say? They say, this is a choice. This is not a life. This is just an embryo. And now they begin to say, because it's legal, that must mean it's okay. But one day, morality is going to come and knock on their door through the form of Jesus Christ on Judgment Day. And Jesus is going to convict them as murderers. 
And they're going to say, but I, I just did it because everybody else was doing it. And it was so long ago. And we're going to say, no, it doesn't matter. Morality remained true whether everybody believed it or didn't believe it. And so just taking those examples today of perversion and abortion, you begin to see that the idols of America are giving Americans their ideology. And what is the definition of revival? I want you to look at the definition of revival, and I'll get to Hosea here in just a few moments. The definition of revival from the Old Testament where it's found, this concept, is when the people of God come alive to God and live out daily the commands of God. This is what our nation needs. We need people to come alive to God again. Not just in the government, not just in the White House, but in your house, in every school, in every church. We need people's hearts to become alive to God again. Because if you would say to Americans, and most 70% still believe in God, and give or take 50, 60, 70%, somewhere in between there, it's a loose number, consider themselves Judeo-Christians, whether they go to the Roman Catholic Mass or the Presbyterian Church or non-denominational churches like the one you're in today, they still would believe in Jesus. So our problem isn't that we need to come and explain Jesus to everybody like, hey, uh, excuse me, have you ever heard of this guy named Jesus? Uh, let me tell you about him. He died on a cross. No, most people would go, I, I know about Jesus. I've heard about Jesus. It's not like we need to go to our state senator and go, hey, do you know the meaning of Christmas? He's the reason for the season. Let me remind you, his name is in there, Christmas. He came, he was born. So we know up here, right? We know about Jesus up here, don't we? But do we live for him in here? See, that's the question we have to ask ourselves after a tragedy like this. It's too easy to just say, I'm going to pray for them and let's move on. It's too easy. It's too easy just to say, this is an isolated incident. I don't know anybody that, that, that is that crazy. You know, let's just move on and chalk it up as that's just those guys, that kind of nut. Do you know that in Chicago right now we are setting another record for the murders for our year 2012? That means this year we are leading the nation in murders around the country. We're aiming for around 500. And I would like uh, Andrew to go to the Chicago Tribune for me, please, and look at the mug shots because I would like to put them up here. Because I look at these mug shots of the Chicago Tribune on my app and I pray for these people because I was just hearing it over and over and over. There's murders, there's murders, there's murders. So I wanted to know, who are the murderers? You ever think like that? Well, yeah, it's kind of crazy, but I mean, it's like, who's murdering people? What does a murderer look like? How do you get up in the morning and say, today I'm taking somebody's life? And you know what I began to realize as I looked at the, uh, the mug shots is that you would see murderers who murdered in gangs and violence. You'd see murderers who murdered for money. You would see sometimes those stories we hear about that make it to the news, like a mother murdering her two children. I saw that one just a while ago. And I want this image to come up here, and I want you just to look at these people because they're people just like you and me. Now, not all of them are murderers, but there's a way that we can scroll down to see who they are. So I want you to just 
to show me. Does this say who they are right here? Okay, but what they did, I want to know. Okay, Rogers Park double murder. There we go. Let's get another one. Because there's a way that you could just keep going and going and clicking through these. What is this guy? What did he do? We've got to pray for him. Somebody's got to tell him he was in church this morning. Just go to the next one. Click on. See, 150 here over the weekend or last couple of days here. Go up here a little bit. Some of these are for children, child molesting. It's going to be on the bottom, I believe. You've got to scroll up. There we go. Endangering the life of a child. There we go. Keep going. Let's go to the next one here. Endangering the life of a child. Hoarding animals. What were they doing? Burglary. Keep going. Just click. I want to just find a couple here as an example. But I want you guys to see this. Here we go. First degree murder. Keep going. Let's get to another one here. Felony burglary. Look at that guy. How many of you like to... See, this is why I have a gun. That guy comes into my house... He comes into my house, he's going to meet my nine, Millie. <laughs> so I have a gun breaking into my house looking all crazy like that. Go to, you keep clicking, keep clicking. Please, give me a couple more. Right there, baby. Is it not working? We got an advertisement holding us up. How many know if you could run into those people on your job? You could see them on the street and they wouldn't look any different than you. They're of all nationalities, of all ages, all genders. And so what do we say to these criminals, those that are at the, the bottom of our morality standard, you know? What do we say to them? Well, do good. Well, where are they going to get their good from? Where are they going to go get it from? Do you see my point now? Where do they get it from? When we talk to our college students, and by the way, we're living in a time right now where parents, the things that you are looking at towards what makes a child great is so much different than what it was 50 years ago. Let me give you an example. When I was a youth pastor and I'll talk to parents, you know what most parents define greatness as? Their children doing good in school and going to college. Just over and over and over again, I would just say, I want my children to do, you know, do good in school and go to college. You know, if you would have asked your grandparents 50 years ago what they wanted your parents to be, you know what they would have said? I want them to grow up to be a good person. It's, it's, it's a slight difference. We don't think it matters much, but what we've done is we've substituted who a person is and, and who they are on the inside for what they do, you know. And so what we're no longer saying is I want my children to be good people. I want them to be moral people. I want them to be outstanding citizens, you know, because 50 years ago, if you worked at a factory and you were a good person, you had a good life. See, 50 years ago, if you worked at a restaurant, you were a waitress, or you were a busboy, and you had a good moral system, you were a good person. But now we're teaching our kids to be a good person, you've got to have a lot of money. So we're going to keep telling you, go to school, go to school, and go to school. And what has happened is this educational system now is raising up our kids with their values because they don't have them. You never instilled it to them. They don't have them. And we just keep promoting it and promoting it. And that's why what we saw here with the shooting and the, and the, and the deaths with all the people, we see happen in the business world. People ruining the employees' lives because of corruption. 
Because when you teach a young businessman, there is no absolute standard of morality. When that business person gets into a tough bind, they're going to start cutting corners. They're not going to think about their employees. That's why you can have a Bernie Madoff and an Enron and all of the corruption we saw. Are you with me in Hosea? Somebody say, I'm there. Hosea chapter 6, 1 through 3 says this. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Hosea was speaking to the people of that day that were wicked, and he was saying God is promising revival. But in the chapters beforehand, I want you to look as it's put up here in Hosea 1, 6 through 9, God has a problem with Israel. Listen what he says to them. Uh, uh, Hosea has a wife named Gomer, and they're having a child, and then they have another child, a daughter and a son. And listen to what God tells Hosea to name these children. And they're up on, on the blog here, brother. Please just, just uh, keep them up there. I want you to see this, Hosea 1.6. Look what God says. Gomer was the name of his wife. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. The Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Rumah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel that I should at all forgive them. Did you know God talked like that in the Bible? I want you to understand how serious this is. God said to his own people, I want you to call the daughter of, your, of, of Gomer, your wife, call her Lo-Ramah, which means this, I will no longer show love to the house of Israel that I should at all forgive them. Who can help you when God says, I won't help you? There's nothing else, is there? What happens to a culture when God says enough is enough? I'm done. You think that could happen to America? If it happened to Israel, God's chosen people, could it happen to us? Could God say to us, I'm done trying to help you. I'm done trying to overlook and forgive. I'm done telling you I love you. I'm tired of you asking me to bless you. I'm going to let the enemy come and take you now. Gomer has another child. Verse 9, then the Lord said, call him Loemi, for you are not my people and I am not your God. I'm not your pe You're not my people anymore and I'm not your God. Why is that important to know when we're thinking about America? Because America built itself upon the principles of God. The presidents made covenants with God. They weren't all perfect, but they based this country in the freedoms that we now have on the teachings of the Bible. That's why still to this day when a president is sworn in, what do they swear in on? The Bible, because that's where the morality is supposed to come from. That's where it's supposed to come from. That's the foundation of the morality. You all with me? Because you can't borrow it from the government when you're the government. It's, you can't borrow it from yourself if you don't have it. So where do presidents get it from? The Bible. 
Where do governors get it from? The Bible. Then where should teachers get it from? The Bible. Where should moms and dads get it from? The Bible. Where should policemen get it from? The Bible. But when you have a nation that's been based upon that, built upon that, even the Ten Commandments in our courtrooms, and then you take it away. And you start saying at graduation ceremonies, the valedictorians cannot even say prayers anymore. Football teams can't bow a knee before they go out from the locker room to the field. Now you're saying that certain teachers and principals have outlawed one nation under God at the end of the Pledge of Allegiance. Now you have an election, the one that just passed, that puts more homosexual, bisexual, transgender into our political offices, legalizes marijuana, just thumbing their nose at God. What will it take, my friends, before God says to America, it's over? That's where we are. When you look at the book of Revelation, the, the American country is not there. So whether we all want to admit it or not, somewhere in our future, we side as a nation with the Antichrist. We become a part of a one-world system that is anti-God. And what you're seeing right now is the beginning. The tides are turning to where what you and I believe will not only be considered to be stupid and be pushed back to the church and not allowed in the, in the town and to the to city squares, but what you believe could become illegal. If you believe same-sex marriage is wrong, you could become a promoter of hate speech. If you start standing up against the government, you see, because what's going to happen in our nation, probably my prediction, is exactly what happened in Germany. And the 700 Club did a big study on this because Germany was a free nation, but because of their liberty, they kept losing wars, they weren't strong. And what happened? A dictator came in and said, you don't really need all of these liberties. Let me start cutting away some of these liberties let me start controlling what your children are learning because, parents, you're not doing it at home. Let me raise them up in my teachings. And Germany took over the school systems, took over the, the business markets, and they began to prosper, and the people didn't even realize their freedoms were gone. At first, it, it didn't matter to them. You watch the videos of, of the 30s, the time when Hitler was at his peak, and they were even taking over other nations. They were happy. They were like, look, it's okay if we can't teach all that we want in school anymore, and, and they control what we learn. And it's okay if we're not allowed to own firearms and our weapons. are. It's okay, because look at how great our nation is. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says in these last times, the, the, the same thing will happen. People will come along and go, peace, peace. Here's a way for us to have peace. Give up your rights. Give up your, your beliefs. These things aren't important anyway. Hand them over to the government. Hand them over to the government. And eventually, our nation will hand itself over to the Antichrist from wherever he comes. God said, it's over. Then he sent Assyria to invade and demolish Israel. Hosea was alive to watch the northern tribes get demolished by the Assyrian, uh, the Assyrian army. A couple hundred years later, the Babylonians took over the southern kingdom. What does this mean? God was not playing. God used the destruction of the enemies of God to teach his people a lesson. But here in chapter 6, the hope is given where it says, If you return to me, I will heal you and I will restore you. I will be like rain to you. 
Let me give you four reasons why we need to do this now, why we need to repent. Everybody say repent. Number one, we have lived a life of sin as Americans. Number two, we have believed lies. Number three, we have no restraint over our morality. And number four, the judgment of God is coming upon us. We have to today in this church say to God, God, I'm sorry on behalf of my nation. We have to do what Daniel did when they were living in Babylon. Do you ever wonder how Daniel got to Babylon? He got there because the Babylonians kicked Israel's butts and captured and brought them as slaves to another nation. Let me put this in today's English, and I don't want to be an alarmist, and I don't know if this is how it would act actually come to pass, but the idea would be something like this. America doesn't repent. America lives in sin. God says, I'm done with America as a nation. He's not saying I don't love people and he doesn't forgive people's sins, but we're talking nationally as a people. Are you understanding? America as a nation. He says, China, take them over. And he actually gives favor to China to invade us, to conquer us, to make us their slaves. China takes our women as their wives puts our young people in slavery, kills our children, now we become a part of China. Now imagine your teenage boys growing up in Beijing, learning Chinese, being a part of the Chinese government. That's who Daniel was in his day. His nation had got taken over by another nation because God said, I'm done with this nation. But what about China? Doesn't that mean China's awesome and God loves China? No, when you read the prophecies, God says, I'm using you just as a paddle upon my people, but I'm going to punish you as well. That's why today you don't see the nation of Assyria or the nation of Babylon because God destroyed them as well. But he said, for this time, for these 70 or so years, I'm going to allow you to take over my people. You see, I want you to go back to that verse that we had read Hosea 6 look what it says in verse 1 come let us return to the Lord he has torn us to what he has torn us to what pieces but he will heal us he has injured us but he will bind up our wounds you see there's some people that are uh, mocking Christians right now and they're saying well you know if God is the answer to our schools how come God's not the answer to the churches you know all these corruptions and all this molestation going on they're mocking us you know they're saying well that's not really the answer I want you to understand this the problem that America has today is so deeply rooted that unless God saves us individually it cannot be rid from us it is F it is as if we all have AIDS and we're dying from this epidemic right now and there's nothing we can do except personally be cured. Otherwise, we'll keep spreading it and spreading it. We are living in gross immorality. If I was here to list to you all the different things that we have believed over these last 20, 30 years, from the Lady Gaga songs to the Little Wayne of the, of the inner city to how we worship sports and pay them hundreds of millions of dollars to hit a ball, if I went through the corruption of how deep it has gone, you would find that each one of us have a corruption that has entered our hearts because it's become natural in this nation to think anti-God. 
from the magazine racks to the person reporting to you the 6 o'clock news. We have gotten so far away that we need personal reformation. But here's the point. Here's the point. And, and, and it's a problem, but it's also a promise that God's the one that allows these things to happen. I want you to suck that in right now and take it in deep. I want you to take that in right now. You see, because I'm not going to these parents and to these people, and I'm not just saying all we needed was prayer in school, and this never would have happened. No, what I'm saying to them boldly, and I'm saying to this congregation today, God is allowing us to be destroyed. God is allowing us to be destroyed. He is not a God that you and I have heard about very much. We do not know him as well as we think we do. How does it work? Well, you look back in the Old Testament. The moment God takes his hand of protection off, the enemy can come in and invade and destroy. Did we have guns 50 years ago? Yeah. Don't you know handguns, 1911? This young man basically had two 9 millimeters and an automatic weapon, but they say the greatest amount of damage was coming from the, the 9 millimeter weapons. Do you know that we've had 9 millimeters the way they are today, Bill, nine, since 1911? 9 millimeters. Why is it nobody took, and, and, and by the way, have we had angry people over the last 100 years since 1911? Have we had depressed people for the last 100 years since 1911? Are you all listening to me? Why didn't anybody take a 1911, a couple of them, and go into an elementary school? I want you all to listen to me very carefully because God prevented them. I want you to understand this. He prevented them. When those wicked thoughts would come into their minds, he would suppress them, he would distract them, he would, he would prevent that from happening. He would say, you're not doing that in this country. You will not. Somebody had a crazy idea. I'm going to, you will not. Why did it happen a couple days ago? Because God said, I'm not stopping you anymore. Does that not terrify you? Does that not terrify you to the very core of who you are? Because my friends, that is the only reason why it's happening. God has said, I'm starting to lift my hand off of this nation. Another example would be this. If it was raining outside and uh, we had an umbrella and we said, let's go outside in the rain, but your child was with you or baby Bethany and she was being rebellious and said, I don't want to hold your hand and I don't want to stand so close to you. Eventually, what would you just say? Okay, just walk then. And what happens to the child? The child gets wet. Child gets home, catches a cold. And then what does the parent say to the child? It's because you did not come under the umbrella. My friends, evil has always been in our culture. The devil has never changed. He's always wanted to kill your children. He's always wanted violence to be on the streets. He's always wanted to bring death and destruction to our nation. He's always wanted homosexuality to be you. He's always wanted there to be confusion in your world religious view. So you couldn't understand God from Buddha to Jesus. He always wanted it. But the reason why it's happening today is because Jesus is no longer stopping him that is why it's happening today because Jesus is no longer holding him back 
It says, come, let us return to the Lord. He broke us into pieces, but now he will heal us. He has injured us. He will bind our wounds. So when we look to the people of Israel and we, saw, we see that they sinned and God rejected them and he allowed Assyria to punish them, we also see that there's a promise for them to have revival. So what should we as Americans do right now? We should understand we've been sinning against God. We have been rejected as his people. He doesn't provide for us like he used to. He's allowing these destructive things to come to us. Therefore, we should repent. We should repent. We should repent of our sins. Number one reason why we need revival is because of our sins. America's more wicked than Noah's generation with over 50 million abortions and more perverted than Sodom and Gomorrah with tens of millions of people hooked on pornography, having sex outside of marriage, and proudly living in same-sex relationships. Do you know that the two times in the Bible where entire cities and people were judged, we are doing those exact same things. When God judged Noah's world, he said, I'm judging the whole world. I'm flooding the whole place higher than the mountain ranges. I'm bringing the water. What was it? Look at what it says, Genesis 6, verses uh, 5 and onward. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intent and thoughts of his heart was only continually evil. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. From man to animals to creeping things to the birds of the sky, I am sorry that I have made them. Do you think Jesus could be saying that about us today? I'm sorry that I gave America so much freedom. He grieves my heart to watch what their young people do in the streets. To watch the perversion of their bourbon streets to Belmont and Clark. It grieves me that they as a nation have this freedom. Then about Sodom and Gomorrah, Jude says, In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve. Everybody say they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah is to be our example of when you live sexually perverted, you will suffer eternal fire. Do we understand today that homosexuality is a sin? We don't as a nation. Why? Because nobody has the dollar of morality to give us to tell us it's wrong. Dad, is it wrong? Not wrong by my books. Why don't you ask your teacher? Professors, is it wrong? Not wrong by my books. Why don't you ask the governor? Is it wrong, governor? No, not wrong by my books. Why don't you ask the president? Is it wrong, president? Not wrong by my books. So we've called wrong right now. Because nobody knows morality. But all of a sudden, that child, that person comes to you or I, and they say, is homosexuality wrong? And we go, yeah, I got it. I got the dollar of morality for you right now. You don't got to go any further. Thus says the Lord. You shall not do this. Now we have a problem. It's our morality and worldview based on the Bible versus what the culture around them is telling them. 
We as Americans need to repent. The second thing is our lies. Everybody say lies. Many Americans have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. False religions, evolutionary morality, and secular humanism. And Romans 1, 18 through 20, uh, 32 says it powerfully. And I won't read it all, but listen as I read just a little of what Paul said about what would happen in the last days when people reject God. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. How do people suppress the truth that we're telling them? By their what? Wickedness. So when we are saying to them, I've got the the dollar of morality as it were. We don't have to go looking for it. It's here in the Bible. How do they block it out and go, no, 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 I don't hear you. They keep living it out more. They keep doing it more. And that's why the gay pride parades began to start. It's because they're saying, no, 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 no. We're proud. We're proud. We're not sorry for what we do. We're proud. And that's why Lil Wayne starts making his albums. And we kill people. We don't care. We kill people. And that's why sports and entertainers, we make millions of dollars. We make millions of dollars. Oprah Winfrey, I've got a billion dollars. I've got a TV station. And they keep living wickedly, trying to drown out the conscience, trying to suppress it, trying to suppress it down in your heart till you no longer hear what God is saying. All you hear is what they're saying by their wickedness. Since what, being, what may be known about God is plain to them, because God made it plain since the creation of the world, His, in, his uh, visible qualities, eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen. Look at verse 21. So they don't know God, they don't glorify God, they don't give Him thanks, so they become foolish and their hearts become darkened. Now the Bible says He gives them over to immorality. Look at verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. What is the first sign that somebody has turned away from God according to Romans? They stop living sexually pure. What was the first revolution, as it were, from the 50s of our values, that's when I think it began to change, to the 60s? What did they call that revolution? A sexual revolution. Why? Because if the devil can say this, that's your body. You don't need to be married to enjoy sex. He can get you to believe all the other lies. Because the sin against your body is the worst kind of sin. Even though it feels good and it looks pretty on the pictures and the movies, Satan understands the spiritual concept because when two become one, see, God created sexual union to be a spiritual issue that when two physical bodies would come together, souls would unite between man and woman. So the devil understood for you to unite yourself with wickedness and evil, he has to lift that off of you, that parameter, so that now we it's just wickedness spreading that disease of sin one to another. And then now he can lead us wherever he wants to take us because he's got us by our sinful desires. He's got us by the lusts of our flesh. He 
He's got us on that thing that just makes us feel so good when we do it. And he's deceived us. And so it says God gave them over to shameful lust. They let women begin to have sex with each other, etc. Now look in homosexuality, and it goes as far as that. Why? Because sexuality gets corrupted and perverted. Now verse 28. Furthermore, see there's more to go. There's furthermore we need to know. Since they did not retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. Everybody say a depraved mind. To do what ought not to be done. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers. And so we haven't talked about murderers yet. We're just talking about what we see all around. And here's the reason why. But keep going. God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. And then now listen to this. Because their hearts have become so hard that they no longer can hear the morality of God. They're hating what God is saying. Verse 31, they are senseless. They lack sense. They are a people that has no sense. They are faithless. They can't believe in anything beyond what they see now. They can't save up money for the future. They lack any sense and faithfulness to their job. They, they, they cannot be married to one person because they lack any kind of faithfulness, any kind of dedication. They have none of it. And that's the generation we're living in. But keep going because here it is right at the end. They become heartless. And they become ruthless. What do the criminals show us? They're just a few steps further in the sin process than some of us are. That's all the criminal shows us. He's just a few steps further in that process. I love what Ray Comfort did. Ray Comfort used John Lennon and how he was murdered by a man who just wanted to get famous as an example to ask people on the streets, how much would it take for you to murder somebody if you wouldn't get caught? And do you know that dozens of people said, I would do it for $20 million? We have become a people that are now senseless, ruthless. And the only difference between us and the psycho is that we're still being held back by that conscience. We're still being held back. You came to church today because there's something on the inside of you that says, I need to learn from God, right? That's why you're here, amen? I'm not angry at you. I mean, that's why you're here. You're here because you're saying, I want to learn from God. But ought we to look into our own lives and to see, have we been sinning? Have we been believing those lies? Because we could go down that same path. Next, we learn number three, there's no restraint. Everybody say no restraint. Many of America's top scientists, politicians, professors, entertainers, business owners have thrown off the restraints of God's law, meaning they have knowingly and purposely decided to do what God said not to do. And here's how the Bible describes it in Psalms 2, 1 through 3. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against the anointed one. And what do they say? Look at verse 3. They say, let us break their chains and throw off their fetters. No restraint. What, what, what does the Lady Gaga generation say? We don't need God anymore. Let's just throw this off. 
What is the politician saying now? I don't need God anymore to do this. Take the Ten, ten Commandments out of our courtrooms. I stopped having the chaplaincy before prayers, you know, Congress, and said, we don't need this. Our President Obama didn't go to the National Day of Prayer. We don't need this. Let's throw this off. Right? Men working on their jobs. I don't need to obey these laws. I'll cheat. I deserve it. I'll cut corners a little bit. People sitting at bars today, over drinking, getting behind their car, drinking and driving. Heartless, ruthless, my sister died that way. Fortunate enough, she didn't kill somebody else. And people just begin to say to themselves, there's no restraint. Why should I stop? Why should I stop? You got uh, people today boasting about how much sex they've had, how many partners they've been with. Swingers clubs are coming to be popular in our society today. Nevada legalized prostitution in the 70s in, their, in some of their counties. And so we're just throwing off the restraint. You know, let's allow the marriage, one man, one woman, uh, man and man. Pretty soon it's polygamy because they're right behind them. And right behind polygamy is the pedophile. They're trying to lower the age of consent. Come on. Why are we saying a 12-year-old can't have sex with a 30-year-old anyway? Why did we come up with that restraint? Let's take that one off. And then lastly, we see judgment. Jesus is coming to judge the world in righteousness. When we came and invaded the beaches of Normandy and we went into the, 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 the Germany front lines and began to fight with them, we weren't saying to them, now let's discuss this. What we were saying is, now you're paying a price for this. We are going to destroy you until you stop. There's no discussion. And God will destroy us until we stop. If you read the end of the story, my friends, there's a lake of fire and a lot of people are thrown into it because this is his world. You know, some of us teenagers, we know what it was like when our parents would go away out of town, right? What would we do? Party. We would do all the things they told us not to do. It would just start off small, like, you know, maybe you grew up in a house like me where you had to take off your shoes when you came inside. But parents were out of town. What did you do? You just started walking around in your shoes. Mom's not home. Dad's not home. You know? My parents would leave me with babysitters, and I would just corrupt these babysitters. I would tell them all the new rules and say, this is really what my parents said I could do. And some of them would believe it. Oh, yeah, can you have a girl spend the night? Sure I can. Sure I can. This is before cell phones. You know, they couldn't really call and check on them. Your parents let you stay out till 3? Yeah, it was when I do my homework. But how many know when my parents came home, they set it in order? They go, hold on. Oh, no, no, no. These rules have not changed. See, in America right now, we can pretend that God's been away for a long time. Jesus, you know, we just think of him as a baby in a manger. He hasn't been here for a long time. We can make up the rules as we go along. And there's no real price to pay for this. We can change what we call life and start killing children. We can change how we define sexuality. We can change how we define university learning and science. We can change all these rules. He doesn't mind. But the Bible says, just as it was in the days of Noah, Luke 17, 26, so it shall be on the days of Son of Man when he comes. People were eating, drinking, and marrying and giving marriage up until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What were they doing when the rains were coming down? They were partying. They were getting married. Noah's people thought they were okay. If you tell your friends what I just shared with you right now, they're going to tell you, you are crazy. 
This ain't got nothing to do with our past elections. This doesn't have anything to do with the things we're legalizing in our country. This has nothing to do with our music. This, no, this is gun control. This is a psychotic person. Let's go back to eating and drinking. Let's go back to getting married. We don't even think about those things. Jesus said, that will be their attitude when I come back. They'll think it's okay. Verse 28, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking. This was Sodom and Gomorrah, buying and selling, planting and building. But that day when Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Let's do our vigil. Let's make every school now like a bank, metal detectors and police officers there. And let's do a couple parenting classes and work on our help, you know, help towards, you know, the loners, the awkward kids. That's it. Let's go back to life. Come on, let's put this behind us, guys. Let's, let's go back to building stuff. Let's go back to planting stuff. Come on, kids, you made it through that. And, and you're awesome, gosh darn it. And you're going to go to college one day. See, you're a survivor. Let's tell our kindergartners, you made it. You're okay. Go to college now. Be somebody great. Plant. Build. Nothing else is wrong here. There's no warning sign going off. This is just some freak accident. It's not a part of a bigger picture. Fire and sulfur rained down and destroyed them all. Jesus, your Lord and Savior, said these words, not me. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. It will be just like this. Everybody will be telling you it's okay. You're crazy for what you believe. Your pastor's a hate monger, incompassionate, uncompassionate, intolerant. You guys are bigots. Let's go back to planting and building. I believe today this church needs to spread this message. We need to tell the people of this nation we were given privileges and honors because our people based it upon God. And that's why we were given these freedoms. And if we now use these freedoms to sin against our God, if we do this and, and, and spread lies and take off restraint, we will be judged. But just as it says in Hosea 6, if we repent now, after already seeing a Columbine, after already seeing a 9-11, after already seeing the school shootings and the ones at the mall and all of this are already happening this week, if we see it now and say, God, heal us, he'll heal us. If we say, God, you've broken us to pieces, he will restore us. Would you stand to your feet? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise if you love him for his word today. Come on. Band, would you come, please? In conclusion, I want to leave you with the words that Peter the apostle said to his generation. And I want this to be the cry of your generation. Bro, would you put this up for me, please? Imagine you and I having an opportunity to speak to a whole Taste of Chicago crowd or Boricua Fest crowd, a whole Super Bowl crowd, what would you say to those people? Or maybe, you know, some of these pastors speaking at the vigils, what would we say? I love what Peter says. 
Peter doesn't just tell them something that they all need to hear to feel better, though I agree with we need to heal and feel better. But Peter spoke deeply to these people because you know what just happened? They murdered Jesus. Murdering children is about as terrible as it can get. Can't get any more disgusting or vile than murdering children. But there is only one act that can be more vile, more wicked. And that is the act of killing and crucifying the Lord of glory. Could you imagine that? How in, you know, we think of a child and how innocent they are. Can you imagine how innocent Jesus must have been that day? He had never sinned. He was pure and holy. He was our creator. He had made us out of the dust of the earth and breathed into us. But you know what? The people did, and we were all there in the sense of our sin and our action. They killed him. They murdered our Jesus. And it's our sins that caused him to die. Now this is what Peter says. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? See, this is what I would say to America. America, it's our sins that have caused these children to die. It's our abortions, it's our greed, it's our perversion, it's our fault. We have failed the young of this nation. We failed them. I wonder if people would get cut to the heart. Now maybe you understand why they wanted to kill Stephen, and they did. They stoned him. How could you take a stone and kill a young preacher? Just think about that. Put a stone in your hand one day and think about throwing it so hard that it begins to split open a young man's head and to keep doing it and doing it. You know why those men did it? Because he kept pointing it back at them. Stephen was a young preacher, and he kept saying to these people, it's your sin, it's your fault, this is why Jesus died. Repent, 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 and they killed him. They stoned a young preacher. I wonder what they would do to you on the job if you said it's our sins that are doing this because God is not stopping it anymore. What shall we do, they said. Peter replied, repent. Everybody say repent. That word is not a bad word. That's a refreshing word. That is a word that says I can be forgiven. That's a word that says I can change. That's a word of hope. That's a word of joy to someone that's burdened down with sin. That word should be a joy to us today. For Americans to hear this, we can repent. God still will forgive us. He still loves us. He has not spoken judgment over us yet like he did with Hosea and those people yet at those times. He is still saying to this nation, repent and I'll forgive you. Repent and I'll restore you. I'll protect your children again. I'll protect your cities again. 
repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, your adultery, your fornication, your greed, your violence, your homosexuality, your drug use, your alcohol abuse, your perverted speech, all of those sins can be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You see, it's our job to protect our children and their children, to give them a safe country and an inheritance to live in. It's our job, and it comes through repentance. It comes through moms and dads living right before God. Says here, verse 40, with many words, other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. I'm pleading with you today, friends. This is my uh, news channel, as it were. This is my interview. This is my chance to have a voice in the blogosphere. I'm warning you, my friends. I'm pleading with you. Repent. And this is what he said Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Save yourself. Yourself needs to be saved. Save yourself. Well, I don't feel wicked. I don't feel like I'm that bad. I don't do it like that. No, save yourself. You are wicked. You are sinful. You have broken God's commands. Save yourself. It sounds extreme, but it's the Bible. That's why it's extreme to us because we've been so desensitized by Santa Jesus. Jesus is like Santa. We've been so desensitized. We forgot what his words sounded like. He is pleading with you today from me as a preacher. Save yourself from this wicked generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number. If you accept the Lord today, you're saved. And if you preach this message to your friends and your family, they can be saved. I can't promise you what's going to happen to America. I don't know what's in store for us. It may get worse, and should the Lord tarry, we'll be pleading for God just for days like this to come. I don't know, friend, because we may see destruction like never before. But this is what I can promise you. If you repent, you'll be saved today. You'll be saved today. And that's where the change comes. It comes today from individuals. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Altar workers, would you come please quickly? Every head bowed and eyes closed right now. We're going to close out in prayer. And if you're here today, you've already heard a gospel presentation. You've been asked to come up, but we're going to call you up again because we're asking those who need to repent today to receive prayer and to live right for God. If you're here and you haven't lived the way you're supposed to live as a Christian and you want to make it right, you need to come. And if you want to ask somebody to pray with you, to give you boldness so you can preach on your job, to your family, at the Christmas dinner, this same message, we will pray for you to have boldness. As we get ready to pray, would you just raise your hands right now and just say, God, start in me. Come on, start in me, God. Start in me. Start changing me right now, God. Expose any of the lies. Expose any of the sins. God, expose any of the excuses I've made when I've taken all for strength. 
Come on, start in me, Jesus. Everybody right now, start in me. Oh, Jesus. Ezekiel chapter 34 talks about the wickedness of preachers. You know God's going to judge preachers who don't preach like this, friends? So don't say, well, my church didn't teach me that before the other church. I want you to listen to me. If they're not teaching the gospel truth, they're going to be held accountable. Come on, start with me, Jesus. Start with this congregation. Start with Metro Praise, 5405 West of Mercy, Sunday morning. Come on, Jesus, at 1207 in the afternoon, start with us. We repent for our sins and the sins of this nation. It is not okay with us. Revival starts now in my heart. Come on, revival starts now in your heart. An awakening to God. An awakening to keep His commands. Cry out for Him to heal you. Come on, you might say, I've never been to a church before. It doesn't matter. Say, Lord, heal me, change me, forgive me. All of us together. A few more moments, then we'll dismiss in prayer. A few more moments. You and God. You and God right now. Start in me, Jesus. Start in this church. Start in us, God. Have mercy on this land. Have mercy on this land. Have mercy on our small compromises. Have mercy on the lies we've told, the vows we've broken, the perversion we've done. Have mercy, O oh God. Spare America, God. Hold back the wickedness, God. Hold back the wickedness, God. Hold back the wickedness, God. Hold it back, Jesus. Hold back the terror, God. Let not our enemies, God, conquer us, Lord. Let not our enemies, God, take us over, God. Oh, Lord, save our young people. Let them not tear the families asunder. Let not these young people tear our cities asunder, God. Save our young people. Have mercy on them from the music they listen to, to the games they play. Oh, God, have mercy on our young generation. Spare them, oh, God. Give them not over to the wickedness of their heart. Give them not over to that wickedness, God. Spare them, God. Spare them, God. Let preachers preach again, God. Let preachers preach again, God. Let moms and dads go to the Word of God at dinner tables again, God. Let business owners build their businesses on your principles, God. Let the government, God, bow to that Word again, Lord. Let them abide by that Word again, Jesus. Those commands that you gave. Have mercy on our land, O oh God, and start with me. Would you hold somebody's hand now in closing? Thank you for joining with us. We're going to hold hands as a sign of unity. When we dismiss, you'll all be welcome to come and get prayer or to go about your way. We love you. We're not angry at you. We're just preaching to you the truth. Would you look up at me before we go? Come on, look at this preacher today. I love you. That's why I preach to you these kind of messages. My heart is for you and your family, for your children. Would you hear it today? And as you're holding somebody's hand, would you just look at each other? You don't have to be all weird, but just look at each other. Do you care about that person? Do you care about their family, their school, their job? That's what God's asking us to do. 
we have to tell the truth. We have to shine our light. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would heal the brokenhearted from Connecticut and all in the surrounding areas there, God. We pray, God, for the first responders and the policemen that saw things that no eye should ever have to see. We pray, God, that you will heal them and restore them. We pray for the parents, God, that are losing the meaning of Christmas today because they've lost their child and they've tucked down their lights and their Christmas tree because they're so brokenhearted. God, would you heal them today and show them the reason is beyond gifts and trees. The reason is that you came to die for them so that their pain and suffering wouldn't go without meaning, wouldn't go without being noticed, but they would have you to cling to. I pray for this nation, this city, and for every individual here, we would all live for you. In your precious name, in Jesus' name, can you say amen and bless him this morning? Amen. Would you bless him? Amen. Slap somebody high five and say, change starts with you. God bless you. You're dismissed. We're going to worship. Come forward for prayer if you need it for anything. God bless you. We'll see you at Life Groups. Just join us for worship. If you can, just linger in His presence today.
To us, the spirit ray. 